Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 22 for Friday, October the 15th, 2010. Symphony 3, free, free, free! It's Friday. It's 12 p.m. in the UK. It's 7 a.m. Eastern Time in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's 4 a.m. in Pacific Time in Los Angeles. And that means it must be time for This Week in Lotus, the weekly roundtable discussion of all things Lotus. We're on to episode 22, and once again, I'm delighted to have Darren Duke co-hosting the show. Hi there, Darren. Good morning, Mr. Stewart. How are you? I am a really good, thank you. Bit of a cold, so I'm probably a bit hoarse today, but um, it'll make a change from the Barry White impression I did last week on the podcast. So <laughs> well, that's good news. When I listened to it, I actually thought, because we were talking, and I think that's where the Barry White thing came from. I said, you sound like an English Barry White. And then when I when I heard it after we after you uh, post-produced it, I actually thought at the time, it sounds like he's got the flu. <laughs> Yeah, oh, well, I really have this week, so that's fine. Um, anyway, I hope people got some value from last week's episode on Lotus Live. Um, we had a really good discussion. It was just a shame the gremlins got into the system, but hopefully it was still OK. Um, so, Darren, we, we've got a, a book or two to give away, haven't we? What, what's that? We have. We have a few of um, the new IBM Lotus Same Time 8 Essentials, a user guide books from Packet Publishing, um, courtesy of authors Marie L. Scott and Mr. Thomas Duffbert Duff, uh, to give away over the next couple of weeks. We have two of them. Um, so we're going to kind of change it around and make it a bit easier for people to get their hands on these books if they haven't already bought them, which they should have because it's actually a very good read. I've learned a ton of stuff in the last 24 hours when we've, since we've got them in. <laughs> Um, Excellent. So the way the way we're going to do that, I think, is is just to ask you guys, listeners, to uh, email into us at the this week in Lotus um, email address, which is ideas i d e a s at thisweekinlotus.com so if you can just email in over the next couple of weeks uh, maybe with a, a review some feedback or just just with your name and address um, and say you want to enter to win the book and we'll pick randomly i think from from all those that come in in a couple of weeks time so does that make sense Dan? that sounds like a plan okay so we will do that and, and hopefully we'll give those away probably on episode 24 as usual, we've been joined today by a panel of, uh, of authoritative figures from the Lotus community, people who have a real interest in Lotus technology. Uh, first of all, we've got a couple of IBMers. So uh, I'll introduce David Pearson. Hi there, David. Hi, how are you? I'm really good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the show. Um, you're an IBM, aren't you, David? So uh, can you tell us what your role there is? Indeed. So um, I'm actually a senior architect within IBM Lotus Software Services for Lotus. Um, I also actually work as the worldwide services leader for the the Symphony product. Excellent, and and Symphony is going to be one of our main topics today. So it's fabulous to have you on the show uh, today to discuss that. Also, one of your colleagues, Eric Ochet. Hi there, Eric. Hi, Stuart. How are you? I am really good, thank you. It's it's great to have you on. Do you want to run through what your role for IBM is? Sure, Stuart. So um, I'm the uh, worldwide product manager for Lotus Symphony. So um, you know, my role is really to uh, um, gather requirements and uh, make sure we build the product to uh, meet the needs of the marketplace. 
Okay, great. And and once again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for giving us the time to, to appear on the show. Next up, we have Corey Davis, who's uh, owner of Connexus um, over in the far west, I guess, of the US. Hi there, Corey. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Uh, you, yours was the very tired voice saying it was 4am in the morning. So we appreciate you giving up your time to, to be up early and be on here. Sure, absolutely. Do you want to, do you want to tell us what Connexus does? Yeah, uh, we are an IBM business partner. Uh, we make tools for notes developers, or I'm sorry, we are notes developers. We make tools for domino administrators. I've also written a couple of IBM red books, and I'm on the Open NTF steering committee. And last but most definitely not least, we have David Leedy. Hi there, David. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me on the show. It's, it's great to have you on. Um, so do you want to tell us to what you do and also sort of what, what your input to the Lotus community is? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a, a corporate notes developer um, and uh, my input to the community uh, lately has been uh, my notes and non-screencast series where I do uh, video tutorials on uh, all things uh, Lotus, but uh, especially X pages. Okay. We, we, Darren and I both follow your notes in nine uh, screencasts, so it's great to finally have you on the on the podcast. It's tremendous to yes, thank you. you've taken the time out to join us. So, um, okay, we'll, we'll we'll crack on through the the list of topics as usual. We spend about sort of forty five to fifty minutes running through the news of the week, and and then we get to some tips at the end uh, in terms of some ideas for for you to um, to take away from the show. So let's make a start, David um, Pearson. Um, do, do you want to tell us about? Um, Lotus Symphony. Um, clearly, there's some news coming from that direction in the next couple of weeks. But do you want to run through for those that might not have used Symphony before? What what is that product, and and what do people do with it? Sure. Okay. So, Lotus Symphony is IBM's office productivity suite. So we actually provide word processing, spreadsheets, and presentation capabilities. So I guess you could broadly say that it's an equivalent to um, you know Microsoft Office and and, and other products like that. Um, we actually build our product for the majority of users, so we've deliberately not set out to replicate every feature and function that you might be familiar with within Office or within other um, applications like that. Instead, what we've tried to do is to make certain that the key features that most people want are actually in there. Um, the product actually is based on the open Office uh, code base, um, and IBM has uh, a fairly um, high-level leading position within a number of open source communities that contribute to that. Um, the product is also based on the Eclipse platform. So if you're familiar with the, the Lotus Expediter product, we actually build our Symfony product on top of Expediter. Um, it's completely free of charge, which is a really big deal. So there's no license fee involved in it. Absolutely anybody can download the product from our website and start using it either at home or in the education sector or, or in business. Um, if you want support, that is, of course, you know, fully available. It's a fully um, IBM branded product. Um, and the other great thing about Symfony is that it's available right across all of the various operating platforms. So it's not just a Windows product. It runs on uh, the Apple Mac and it also runs on, on Linux as well. David, this this is Darren. So so obviously, if we look at Lotus historically as a company, then as an IBM brand, uh, still today probably one of the most famous things Lotus ever did was was one two three. So the, the Lotus brand particularly has had a long and, and history story in the office productivity market. Um, so 
probably around what 2001 2002 i guess smart suite as it was known then was was maybe wound down as an active product maybe a bit later than that but but it was wound down so what what, what was the intent of ibm building symphony and then releasing it uh, around their absence out of the office productivity market was this to somehow get back at microsoft or was this just something that ibm needed to do internally and it was a good product to release Okay, so I'm going to bring Eric into this as well, but I guess there's two key uh, points here. The first is that um, we actually see documents, spreadsheets, presentations as commodities. Uh, we don't believe that anyone should have to pay commodity prices, uh, which is why the, our product is completely free of charge. Uh, we actually support the open document format, and certainly part of IBM's strategy is to promote innovation around that particular format. Um, Eric, do you want to come in at this point and just say a few words about our strategy and, and why we decided to go forward with Symphony? Sure, David, and I think um, your start was was excellent. So, um, Darren, I think, you know, just to add to what David has already said, um, the open document format obviously um, is, a, is a huge difference. So that's not something that is in SmartSuite. Um, we are still, by the way, supporting SmartSuite, and um, I'm also the product manager for SmartSuite, so I still deal with uh, a number of our smart suite customers that are still out there and still using the product. Um, we have tried to keep smart suite um, at least somewhat relevant uh, with expanding support for uh, Windows 7 uh, most recently. That's 32 bit right now, but um, we are able to run at least on um, some of the newer platforms. Um, the other difference, as David said, not only the open document format, but um, you know, IBM has always been a longtime supporter of the open source community. Uh, as you know, SmartSuite was not open source, um, and again, it had another proprietary file format. So that kind of goes against what we're trying to do um, with Symphony. As David said, the strategy around it is also about um, value. Um, what we find today is that most users um, get very poor value from the, the, the dollars that they spend or the euros that they spend anyway um, for their office licenses. And, and what I mean by that is most people don't use uh, a lot, you know, the majority of features. They use a subset of those things. And when you think about what people use on a daily basis and what they paid for that license and what they continue to pay for the support and maintenance, um, it's a pretty high price tag. Um, now, we certainly realize that there are people in organizations who get great value out of that office license because it does do a lot of very complicated, advanced functions and things. And for those people where you're getting good value, continue to use it. Um, it makes sense. Uh, but what, uh, again, kind of the, the impetus behind Symphony is for the people who really are getting poor value from it, um, you could reinvest that money. So switch those people to Symphony. Um, reinvest that money that you were spending on those licenses where you know you were getting not great value or company your business or your you know government agency or entity um, you, you know much more value uh, okay that, that's that's a valid point um, incidentally I just quoted 26 licenses of Microsoft Office yesterday 26 licenses came back at eight and a half thousand dollars so you, you do have hmm. a valid point <laughs> on the cost um, so so today we, we currently we, we can download Symphony 1, which is the gold supported co support code. We have Symphony 3, which I think is in beta 4 right now. And, and Ed, has, Ed Brill has alluded to a couple of occasions that this is the last 
public beta before it goes gold. So what what are we talking about in the roadmap? Do we have an ETA for when Symphony 3 is going to go live and, and what maybe the next iteration of Symphony is beyond what we know we get in today in Symphony 3? Sure. So um, uh, if you take a look at the hint I put in the document, and I guess uh, other people will be able to see this, um, if you check late next week on the Symphony website, uh, I think you will uh, find something new and interesting that you'll want to download. <laughs> so um, after after that's done, um, you know, we are um, now beginning the next phase of uh, the Symphony development and planning for the next release. So we would expect um, to have at least, uh, you know, a release in the third quarter, probably um, of next year. Uh, there's a bunch of things we still want to do and need to do. Um, we in this release uh, have added support for visual basic macros and we're all very excited about it. Um, it'll help a lot of our enterprise customers who are trying to move away from office um, at least run hopefully the majority of the macros they have in spreadsheets. Now I want to get macro support in documents as well. That's not in this release. So that is definitely one of the things I'm looking at, um, you know, kind of pushing on for the next one as well as uh, you know, there are so many uh, macros, APIs, events, um, and controls that we obviously couldn't implement them all. Um, so we, um, you know, hope to be able to improve that support in the next release. Um, and we're also looking at, you know, adding new function and features and cleaning up uh, other things that don't work great. And based on feedback we get from um, our users and community, uh, you know, add and fix things like uh, we typically do with a, uh, you know, a release of a product. Okay, good, good stuff. So let, let me ask a couple of harder questions here. So obviously Symphony 1 was based on the OpenOffice 1 code. Um, Symphony 3 is based on the OpenOffice 3 code, which is a, a massive step up. Um, I've used OpenOffice for at least five years and, and, and recently transferred to Symphony, and it really is a big difference between Symphony 1 and Symphony 3. So recently, you know, Sun was, was purchased by Oracle. So Sun owns quote-unquote open office, not really op owns it, but you get my point. And there's some talk of, of, of a split. So with you guys mimicking the open office releases, uh, have you guys given any thought into what is happening in the open source community around open office and then forking the code? Yeah, so, so Darren, I, I think, um, you know, the open source communities, um, you know, are certainly free to do these things. And that's, um, I guess, just the nature of the beast. Um, we are a member of OpenOffice.org. Um, we continue to harvest code from that community. Uh, we donate code to that community and fixes, uh, and we don't see that changing. Um, we have all of the access and code and resources that we need to uh, deliver Symphony 3, which, as you said, is based on the current version of, of OpenOffice.org. Um, and continue to develop that regardless of what happens with um, new communities, old communities, um, anything of that nature. So um, we, we certainly um, will continue to be, uh, you know, an, an active participant in openoffice.org and um, certainly look at other communities as they form and, and determine what our role, if any, should be um, in them. Okay, that, that, that's some very good news. Um, so, so starting, I think it was, was, was with Notes 8. Um, we were able to bundle Symphony in to the Notes client, uh, which I think is uh, was was a good idea. I think it's going to be a, a substantially better idea sometime late next week. <laughs> um, so, so we have integration with 
other products within the, the, the Lotus portfolio, nuts being the obvious one that everyone probably understands and sees. Um, where do we have other integration points between Symphony and, and maybe any of you have a Lotus portfolio? So Darren, let, let me, uh, I think the, the notes bundle option uh, point is a good one for me to mention, especially on this call. So you know that notes 851 and 852 both ship with Symphony 1.3 embedded. Um, what we'll also be releasing, and it'll it'll come out just a little bit after um, uh, late next week, um, is a Symphony 3 add-on installer uh, for both Notes 851 and Notes 852. What that add-on installer will do is allow you to literally surgically replace uh, the embedded Symphony 1.3 that shipped out of the box with Notes 851 and 852 uh, with the GA version of Symphony 3. So um, if you're running Notes 852 today, you could download this add-on add installer, which will be on the Testport Advantage site. Um, so you'd be able to log on to that site and uh, download that code, uh, run the installer, and it'll um, you know install itself into the Notes 852 client and replace Symphony 1.3. And, and um, I in addition, Oh, go ahead, I was going to say, I think that's a fantastic idea. I think that's truly a, the, the, the way to go is uh, allow me to upgrade Symphony inside of my Notes client independently of, of if and when I upgrade Notes. I think that's a, a, a splendid idea from IBM. Great. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about it, too. And, and um, we did get a lot of customer feedback from both the uh, kind of the Notes design partners as well as the Symphony customer council that that was something, um, you know, that would be a value. Uh, the other thing is you'll also be able to download a standalone version of Symphony 3 uh, that's warranted. So uh, as a Notes customer, your support for Symphony is included with your Notes support entitlement. Um, so if you, you know, would rather not run Symphony embedded in the Notes client and run it standalone, uh, you'll be able to download uh, an image of the standalone version. I think they're actually going to be a DVD you can order um, for that. And if you're an iNotes user, uh, where you don't actually have a notes client, you can still now um, go get the Symphony 3 standalone code and install that and, uh, you know, and have support and, and use Symphony um, standalone. So my follow on question from that then would be um, if if I wanted to roll out 852 to, you know, all my users and organizations, is it possible to bundle that update installer for Symphony and the Notes 852 client and, and push it all out in the one go? Yeah, so that's the so that's the uh, the theory. So you could, if you haven't rolled out yet as the administrator, you could run the add-on installer and then create a new notes kit, um, and then send it out with the the Symphony three already um, included. Okay, so so let's let's bring in um, the other guys on the call. Corey, do you use Symphony? If if so, sort of what what's your feedback? Have you tried tried version three yet? Uh, I do have uh, version three. I have the latest beta installed. Um, I like it quite a bit better than the other versions of Symphony. I'm not a heavy Symphony user. Um, I, I use uh, I use uh, I use a Mac, and so I use Numbers and uh, Pages more often than I use Symphony. Uh, but it is installed; it's there, and I do use it from time to time. Excellent, David. How about you? Um, I, I used uh, Symphony a little bit. I'm a Mac guy also, uh, but recently uh, I, I actually had a project for work where I was importing spreadsheets, and these spreadsheets were uh, formatted very creatively, and I found it was easier for me to kind of clean that up inside Symphony's spreadsheet than it was in iWork, so I was very happy to have it. 
Excellent. And then I'm in a similar boat. I use iWork as my major uh, suite. And, but Symphony certainly fills the gap in terms of editing of ODF documents. So it, it's a tremendous solution there. Um, in, in, in terms of the sort of open office versus Symphony discussion, you obviously take a, a significant amount of code from open office version three to make Symphony. What else do you do to it um, as Lotus to, to, to turn it into Symphony? What, what additions in technology are there? So, um, Stuart, let me start and then uh, I'll ask David to certainly join in. So, um, one major uh, thing that we do to the code is the whole user interface. So that is um, code that we uh, write or and or rewrite. Um, the sidebar implementation, the toolbars, uh, the context sensitive nature of um, everything we do there is all um, is all our code. Um, in addition, we have worked on performance. Um, we've, uh, you know, obviously done bug fix type of work and, and things of that nature. And then um, we've donated back <clears throat> some of those items. Um, in addition to that, um, the mail merge and data pilot. Uh, so data pilot is the pivot table um, functionality. Um, we've completely rewritten those functions um, around Symphony. The wizard for mail merge based on feedback we had from other people who tried it in uh, in, in base open office uh, said it wasn't as intuitive and easy to use so we rewrote that and we've implemented a kind of drag and drop capability around uh, the data pilot tables and creating them so again we're using that eclipse framework the sidebars um, in and that whole user interface construct to um, really make it easier for an end user to do to do some of these but when he says data pilot um users who use excel may understand that better as pivot tables but i think microsoft have copyrighted that word yeah that's that, that's right thanks okay Great. And my, my question was going to be, um, you know, because you have the Open Office 3 code as, as the, you know, the main main part of, of your Symphony code, is there round trip compatibility between them? If you're running latest version of Open Office, latest version of Symphony in your organization, can you rely on there being sort of 100% compatibility there? Yeah, so, so I, I don't know that 100% is ever um, is ever there, but because we are based on the same code, uh, both supporting ODF 1.2, um, so yes, the, the round tripping of ODF um content should be very close to perfect and and Stuart, okay. I, I, I'll, I'll step in because i do use it as, as my primary productivity suite and also open office on a different computer and what i can say is that symphony 3 to at least to date symphony 3 beta 4 has had full fidelity for me between open office 3 where i could never say that between symphony 1 and open office 3 Okay, that's a pretty good story. I, th I think that's good. I think a lot of organizations will, will make the most of that, particularly if they're migrating, I guess, to Symphony. So um, we were talking about Symphony version 3. Um, as an outline, what, what are the great new features in there that, that users are going to be excited about? Yeah, so David, you know, David's had a lot of experience with that. So why don't we, uh, why don't we give him a chance to share some of his uh, info on that question? Okay, thanks, Eric. Yeah, so, you know, my, my experience is coming mainly from working with our customers that have been helping to evaluate the products and, of course, deploying it. Um, I guess the, the biggest new feature that most customers have been waiting for, uh, and I think Eric's already mentioned this, was within the spreadsheet component was the ability to support visual basic macros. Um, you know, from the work we've been doing with our customers, we believe we have in the region of around 85% coverage of the, the VBA uh, 2003 language uh, APIs. And that's actually pretty good. Uh, in fact, one of the things we're gonna do there is we're gonna bring out a plugin um, sometime after GA that will allow our customers to download it 
and it will actually allow them to analyze their Microsoft Excel spreadsheets and figure out you know, whether they are supported in Symfony or actually whether there's going to be some need for some additional API support. And actually the report that plugin will create can be sent across to our development team and we're certainly going to make you know the effort to try and deal with those requests. So, so VBA support is a really big deal. The other thing is that um, within the documents components we've you know dramatically improved the capability around making comments uh, and also around reviewing and collaborating on a document with other individuals. Um, that is much more in alignment now with the experience that uh, Microsoft Word users will be familiar with, which is a, a really good story. We've also made some big enhancements to the, the PDF um, export. Um, you know, we actually now support tagging in there. Uh, and we also support, um, you know, password protection for PDFs, which is actually quite useful when you need to share um, information with, you know, outside parties, etc. In terms of presentations, I guess one of the big things for me, because I, as an IBM, I tend to live in presentations quite a lot, is actually multi-monitor support and also the ability to actually embed both video and sound files within a presentation. Um, so some of the, those are, the, I guess, some of the, the big headlines that we have in this version. Um, it's also worth pointing out, just coming back to the conversation we just had about uh, the difference between Open Office and Symfony, it's important to note that, particularly if you're interested in an enterprise deployment, you're going to need to cater for everybody in your organization. And Symfony does, in fact, provide accessibility support, whereas I don't believe that actually is uh, too much of a good story uh, within the Open Office code. And the other great thing, just to quickly mention, is because we're based on the Java platform, we do uh, very easily interact and integrate with um, Google gadgets and other stuff like that. So we've got a great feature in documents called Live Text. Uh, very, very simple. You can do it in a matter of minutes. You can set it up. So if you type in maybe an, a person's name or, or the company name or something like that, you can link that to a Google gadget and have it actually go away and do something. So as an example, I actually have Live Text for company names configured so that it goes and does a search on Wikipedia that company so when I'm typing in a document or working on a document with a company name it'll immediately give me the opportunity to right click and then see a Wikipedia page for it. I'm curious you know uh, Microsoft and Google they both have their cloud offerings like Google with Google Docs and does uh, is Symfony is IBM looking towards a Symfony cloud offering? Okay, so, um, and I'll bring Eric in on this one as well, but the short answer is yes, and in fact, we already have something. Uh, we've been working on something called Project Concord now for a while. Uh, Concord is actually IBM's set of ODF editors that are web-based. They'll be provided through the, the Lotus Live offering. Uh, and in fact, uh, I believe that that is actually already posted onto Lotus Live Labs. Uh, so if you have access to that, you can go and try it out. Um, we're actually going to be moving forward, I think, quite rapidly with that in the next 12 months. And you're going to see that uh, whereas today we only support documents, we actually will move forward and support pres uh, presentations and spreadsheets. Now, to try and kind of provide some kind of difference in terms of our, our offering versus Google, etc. One of the key things that we're trying to do here is to provide Symfony customers with the ability to interact and integrate 
with other applications and and actually you know moving forward thinking about the, the connections product and activities and things like that one of the really great things we can do right now is we've got a plugin for lotus live that sits in the sidebar of symphony so if i'm working on a document and i want to share that with somebody that maybe just has a browser uh, i can use that plugin i can directly post my document out of symphony up into lotus live so i can share that uh, I can then start to use the, the Concord editors, the ODF editors, and I can collaborate on that document in real time so I can see the changes that everyone's making in real time. And one of the really cool features in our particular web editors that I've not actually seen in, a, you know, in Google or others is the ability to mark out a piece of text or a section of the document and actually to allocate it as an activity to somebody else that I'm collaborating with. So you can see that it then becomes the, the the capability to assign a piece of work to somebody who may be you know offline. They can when they come online, they can do what we've asked them to do, and then we can carry on collaborating. So we, we've got a very very good story there. Um, Eric, is there anything you want to say about Concord and where we are at the moment with that? I'm sure, David. Thanks. I, I think you did a good overview. I, I will just say that. Um, it's in a private managed beta right now, so access is um, is somewhat limited. Uh, that will change shortly, um, uh, certainly um, you know before the end of the year. Um, and um, as David said, you'll see us expanding that capability. Um, uh, the co-editing and that collaborative editing is really where we're we're focused. Um, you know, just to do another web editor so that you can you know type in a document and see other people typing at the same time. That isn't really that interesting for us. Um, the integration and um, you know the business process and workflows that um, can happen now through this um, project Concord are, are really what the interesting thing is. So think about a typical scenario where you you know you're working on an RFP response, for example. Um, it's typically multiple people that are going to be contributing different parts of the document. Um, the functions within Project Concord are going to allow you to potentially lay that document out in um, Symphony, for example, on the desktop, um, put it up into the Project Concord uh, space in the cloud. Um, you would then, as David said, be able to assign people sections, um, create to-dos, assignments, uh, you know, through an activity, put due dates on them, um, and then basically gather all of that information back up in the cloud, go through it, review it, and then, you know, potentially bring it back down to um, you know, Symphony on the desktop where you're going to have more formatting capabilities and more of the advanced functions that you're you know, not going to find in a web editor. Uh, clean it up, fix it up, and finalize it, and then, you know, deliver it to a customer. So, you know, we see that um, scenario playing out, you know, across many, many different aspects. Um, we're looking at mobile uh, and multiple access, you know, to Concord. So it's going to be very exciting. Um, you know, Lotusphere is coming this year a little bit late. Uh, there'll be a lot of new info around uh, Project Concord and what's going on, and, and we'll be demoing it this year for sure. Um, so, um, you know, stay tuned on, on that front is, is how I'd like to end that conversation. I had a question. Um, is there any plans on the board to uh, bring in some of the other open office uh, products into Symphony, like a draw or a, a database? Uh, program that's kind of equivalent to Microsoft Access uh, base, I think it is, or even something that, that they don't have, like like a, a Visio equivalent. Yeah. So David, right now we, we don't have any plans to add those specifically to um, to Symphony. I, I will say that we certainly do have 
um, you know, DB2 Express C, um, which is a database that is also um, available at no charge. Uh, and we've got a plugin um, that'll actually connect to that database. As a matter of fact, we're updating um, the plugin, uh, our database plugin, um, so that you can actually connect to uh, the database on the iSeries. Uh, so that database plugin would allow you to get to that. And um, you know, there are, I guess, alternatives out there as well um, uh, for those other things. But we're, we're not planning on extending that packaged uh, product at, at any time, anytime soon. Okay. Okay. And again, looking ahead, um, I think currently in version three, you have the ability to read um, Microsoft 2007 documents, you know, DocX, XLSX, and so on. Are you ever likely to have write um, abilities for those versions as well? Yeah, so it's not in version three, uh, Stuart. It is absolutely something we're looking at. One of the challenges we have around that is um, a couple of years ago, there was a, a very big, um, uh, I'll call it a, a battle, a discussion, let's say, to be politically correct, in the um, open standards community when OOXML was coming through um, the, 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 the process to be approved. Um, what wound up happening uh, was that the ISO approved specification for OOXML um, has not been implemented by anybody, including Microsoft. So what, uh, and the reason for that is they shipped Office 2007 with that format uh, prior to them bringing the uh, specification through the standards committees. Part of the process through the standards committees is it gets reviewed by the communities and suggestions are made and changes are requested and required and so what happened was the specification that was, uh, you know, finally approved by ISO um, doesn't match what uh, has been implemented in either in Office 2007. Um, we were expecting Microsoft to upgrade the um, file format in Office 2010 uh, to the ISO approved one. However, they, they didn't do that. Uh, they've now said it'll be in their next, uh, they're planning it for the next release uh, of, uh, of Office. So unfortunately, the the format that's in you know 2007 and 2010 today is not the specification so it's it's not well documented um and there's no reference implementation for us to to work against um we are absolutely looking at how to solve that um it is becoming more and more of a requirement from our customers uh, who have moved up to those because the default file format uh, in both of those products is to create the docx as you say uh, so it is something I'm I'm watching very closely. And and while while we're talking about requests, that that's probably one of the the, the biggest requests I get. Followed quickly um, along the lines of of customers that use Lotus quicker and are interested in connectors. And I know that but, but the quicker connectors ship with Symphony 1.3 capability. With Symphony 3 a week away from from Gold, do we have any update on when the connectors would be available for Symphony 3? Yeah, so Darren, they're coming soon. What we we work, uh, as you know, with the other products in the portfolio. Um, they've been um, working with our new code. Uh, as a matter of fact, we just updated the quicker connector 485 um, out on the Symphony website, and and we've been migrating um, some of the plugins that work with 1.3 over to 3. So you'll see a whole lot more of them show up um, once we you know, go gold with that uh, Symphony 3 code. As a matter of fact, we just updated the Lotus Live plugin yesterday. Um, uh, Lotus Live had a big update uh, last weekend or the weekend before, and it caused us to have to update the plugin um, to kind of make it work again. So it is it is uh, up there and working. And yes, so so we are updating those. We're also working on some plugins around connections. Um, 
as, as well. So there's definitely um, a lot of exciting things happening on uh, on that front. So, so anyone that listens to the podcast regularly, when I when I'm told coming soon, they realize that's I'm the dog and that's the bone, and I don't let go. <laughs> um, so, do we do do we have an ETA? Is it a quarter away for the quicker connectors? Is it Lotus for your time? Is it after that? Uh, I think it's actually going to be um, much sooner than that. Dan. Oh. I know the teams have been working on it, um, and so I'm I'm hopeful it'll be much sooner than. That. Okay, good, good stuff. Thank you. And my natural follow-on question to that, being a little bit nasty, is to ask about Mac and Linux connector support as well, because obviously doing it on Windows is the first step. It would be fabulous if Symphony on the Mac had the same abilities as, as the Windows version does. With, with those connectors, um, you know, the, the quicker connectors are developed by the quicker um, team, and uh, so you know, I, I think I don't I don't think they've got the Linux and Mac quick uh, connector available. Okay, we'll, we'll let you off on that one. We'll, we'll query the uh, quicker team next time we speak to them on that one. So um, just, just to close off then, guys, it, I think it's been great information you've shared about Symphony. We, we, we thank you for that. Um, if if listeners want to find out more about Symphony and particularly about the, the version three announcement when it comes, where would they go to find that information? So Stuart, that's uh, symphony.lotus.com and there's no www in that URL. Um, that is the, uh, the website where we'll post the code when uh, as soon as it's ready and um, we'll post some information letting people know it's there you'll also notice the website will refresh um, again kind of in that same time frame time frame we talked about earlier so you uh, it should be pretty obvious if you go check that late next week um, that the code will be up there Tremendous. That's great. And, and I have to say, I applaud um, the whole Symphony team for that website. I think it's a tremendous model that maybe the other Lotus products should follow in terms of having that sort of microsite set up with its own look and feel on the symphony.lotus.com URL. Everybody can remember. I think that's that's a model that other products could certainly do well to follow. So thank you guys for that. Um, moving on, uh, we obviously have David on the call today. David's well known as one of the uh, principal sort of webcasters in the community uh, with his notes in nine series. That's recently had sort of a, a bit of a comeback hasn't it david can you tell us about your um, extended edition you're working on oh sure um yeah I've, I've been wanting to kind of do this for a while and and it hasn't worked out for me from a timing point of view until i realized you know the nine minutes is is good and it's catchy and, and i could do a lot of good things with it uh but eventually if you want to go in depth you you, you got to go longer um so so i started with a uh, the what i call the extended edition um, and the first one I did for that was uh, basically my my introduction to X pages uh, session that I gave for the the IM lug and the MW lug uh, user group events. Um, so that was you know that's about 73 minutes. So I, I kind of blew right by the the nine minute uh, limitation there. And then I I was uh, very happy to get a collaborator on uh, Jeremy Hodge uh, wanted to come on. There was some some things going on in the blogosphere with some questions on how to get started with, with, with Java. And I actually was asking some of those questions and uh, Jeremy con and we had talked before, but Jeremy had contacted me about, you know, starting up a, a, a guest speaker um, series of, of basically how to do that. And, and he's a great Java developer. So, so he's uh, given me uh, two shows so far with, with more on the way. And uh, again, I was looking for collaborators for a little while also, so I was I was happy to kind of extend into this new format. Um, the, the the initial shows won't go away. The the nine minute stuff is going to stay, 
and uh, I could take collaborators for that as well also. Um, but uh, now I've got basically two two coverages. I've got you know a shorter show for quicker tips, and now the ability to create longer shows when I want to get into more uh, depth. You've got to be careful using the word quicker. IBM is well, slowly yes. <laughs> I, I, IBM is slowly eroding away our vocabulary. <laughs> yes, and I've never used quicker, so <laughs> you won't see too many tips on the show from that unless I do get a collaborator. <laughs> Uh, um, so, 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 tell me about. So, you've been doing this for a while now, um, and, and I guess this is one of the stops that a Notes Classic developer, and one that's been doing maybe all style web development or, or Notes client development, Lotus Script, Formula Language, etc. Um, this is one of the steps that they will take um, on on their journey to become an expert developer. Can you kind of give them an example of of maybe where you started and where these came from so they can maybe get over the initial fear of, oh my God, this has the word Java in it? Well, well, I mean, the, the traditional notes client developer, that's what I am. I mean, I'm still mostly doing a client development in, in, the, in the day. So, so almost anything on notes nine is geared for, for that audience because that's where I came from and that's really where I spend most of my time. Um, the, the new Java stuff is, is really well done in, in how to slowly bring up the speed. It, it kind of assumes that you're already using X pages. So if you haven't started with, with, with X pages yet, I wouldn't jump right into the Java stuff. I'd, I'd start with, with the other shows and, and some of the other material out there to get your, your feet wet on that. And then it's kind of like if you're a Lotus script developer, once you get to the, the level of creating a custom class and, and custom objects, you know, now, now, now you're, 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 you're cooking with gas, and, and that's just a good place to be. And that's where the, the Java is, because everything in Java is object-oriented. So it's, it's just a natural pr progression. So if you're just getting started, I'd say, you know, you start with, with some of the basic shows and get your feet wet, and, and when you want to start to get to a little more advanced stuff, then, then you pick up with a Jeremy's series on, on how to do uh, Java. Great, and, and you know, David, we've Darren and I have struggled sometimes with just recording an audio podcast in terms of quality, and, and yeah, and 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 the whole process of, of producing a podcast. How how have you got started with doing webcasts? Is that something you've done before as part of your day job, or is that something you just decided would be a good thing to do? Uh, no, I just no, I didn't do it before. I'd done some video editing just for personal projects or so, but nothing like screencasting. Um, I started back in July of 2009 with 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 my my first show, I think it was, and uh, I had wanted to do it for a while, but but wasn't you know totally motivated to to just you know cut the cord and, and just give it a shot. And and there's some things going on in, in, in Lotus community where I thought you know it, it would be best to try to inject some positivity. Uh, back at that time, so I said, "Well, let's let's just do it and and, and go with it." And uh, you know, I played around with some different software and came up with 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 my process uh, to try and get you know high quality because uh, I want to make sure you could read you know the the screen and the code that's on there. And uh, I started with YouTube really, and and that's really where the nine minute thing came from because YouTube at the time had a ten minute limit for videos that you can upload, um, and just kind of started from there. Great, and and obviously you've moved now to doing some extended episodes. Well, what's next for Notes in Nine? Have you got any plans for, for further development of the site? 
Well, yeah, oh yeah. Um, I, I'm, uh, the, the next thing is, is obviously just to, to fill out, to create more content, more X pages, and, and again, try to get more collaborators on. Uh, the, the back end system, creating the screencast is actually fairly easy. Uh, the actual publishing it uh, on the host and, and all the RSS feeds, uh, I struggle with that. So, so on the back end side, I want to improve that um, just to make it easier for me to get more content out quicker. Uh, but the, the next big thing that, that I'm working on is is I'm actually going to work on a new website, uh, which which uh, I guess I'll announce today, and and that's uh, xpages.tv, and and w what my intention for this website is is to be kind of like a a homepage, not just for for the notes and nine videos that that focus on X pages, um, which are up there now. But but all the other videos, because I'm not the only one doing this anymore. Uh, Paul Withers has done a done a video on YouTube. Uh, we're getting more videos on OpenNTF on on you know the extension library and other techniques. There's videos in the wikis or so. So my my kind of goal with XPages.tv is to try and catalog and uh, these videos all in one place and, and tag them and and kind of create more of a table of contents. So a, a new X page uh, developer um, can come in here and, and kind of just have a, a nice menu of, of things to go to. Because what I found and, and struggled with is, it, even on my own podcast, uh, is that since it's date-driven, that the older shows, which are still very relevant, uh, my, my first show ever is still one of my best, which was just a repeat control show. Um, but you might not see it now unless you know you happen to find it from Google. So I'm hoping to kind of create a table of contents to that's not date driven to help people who are starting out. That's weird. You did that. I was about to ask that question because <laughs> oh. <laughs> because literally I, I bring up your site a lot and along with Declan's uh, 56 part War and Peace Tom. Um, yes. One of the ways to get people over the hump. And one of the things I was get asked about was, well, well, that's all very nice, but there's no seemingly table of contents where I can go through these one at a time without doing some searching. So, you know, I didn't know about the XPages TV. I saw the link in the doc we all use, but it, didn't, it wasn't a link, so I didn't even think it was a real site. But I just went out there, and it is actually live. So, congratulations. Yeah, it, it's, it's, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It is live. The, the code base is not done. Uh, I need to print it up uh, quite a lot and then add functionality I wanted to get it out there for for today's show but but yeah we definitely need a, a table of contents and and to try and improve the searching for for again not just my material but but the other good material that's coming out there now wow that's excellent a real live exclusive on this week and latest thank you for that David <laughs> I, th I think that's a tremendous site and, and obviously as you develop it further it'll be a great resource for everybody who's who's learning X pages and, and working with it in the um in the latest community it's tremendous so um mo moving on to the next topic we um today's a very big day in Lotosphere 2011 um, preparation because it's the day that uh, the call for abstracts closes um it says the end of the day so quite what time zone that's that's true for um either way you've certainly not Got very much time to get those uh, in. So one, one of the other pieces of news um, this week that came out, uh, Darren, perhaps you want to comment on this, is that they're moving to a daily OGS um, arrangement for this year where there'll be a hour slot on Tuesday and Wednesday mornings to um, basically cover some of the other announcements. Do you think that's a good plan? Do you, do you see that being popular? I wasn't quite sure what they meant because I, is, I guess the, the daily OGSs are very replacing the big keynotes that they were having. I was quite a bit confused about this whole thing. 
Um, I, I don't. I don't. We have the detail on the mini keynotes yet. I mean, there were a lot of them last year, when there were sort of eight or nine, I think, during the week. Um, so I don't know whether they're still happening or not. But certainly, there's going to be two hours on Monday for the main OGS, and then an hour on Tuesday, and an hour on Wednesday. And and you know, with with the amount of products that Lotus have, I think it's gonna. It's getting more and more difficult to do justice in two hours. So I, I don't think it's a bad idea. What I think though is I need to be careful about the scheduling because you don't want to put these OGSs up against uh, other sessions. I know that's kind of hard to do. Um, but I remember when I presented at DNR, uh, the, the first BlackBerry developer conference, every time they had an OGS and there was a couple throughout the week, there were no sessions during any of the OGSs. So that kind of didn't have to make you choose. Do I want to go and, uh, and see an expert speaker? I don't want to sit in the OGS and see what's coming. So I think they just need to be careful about the scheduling and it may cause more problems than it solves but you know we'll, we'll we'll know sometime in the middle of february whether it was a good idea or not and uh, also on that topic there's a couple of new tracks that have been announced this year that uh, i'm sure people will want to think about um, either attending or submitting abstracts for what uh, one is that there's a business solutions track <laughs> i know Sorry, I know they've done things like that in the past, but very much looking at ROI and TCO and those kind of discussions. And also customer case studies, which uh, again, there's been various different formats for, but I think they're making that into a mainline track this year as well, which again, I, I, I think will be a wonderful thing to, if, if you get you know real customers standing up on stage, telling people how they've used the products and, and also hopefully a realistic view on some of the issues they've had as well. Yeah, um, I, I guess that the business solutions is maybe for IBM and business partners to present and the customer case studies is the customers extolling the virtues. Um, one of the things I thought when I first saw the Lotus Sphere Abstracts announcement was, wow, there's an awful lot of tracks on here. And one of the reasons I am still procrastinating about abstract selection, which I haven't, <laughs> I haven't put them all in yet, I've only put one in so far, is that I'm trying to figure out where best to put my my abstracts and there's just too many options now of where to put them so I'm, I'm i'm fearful for my own abstract selection track and um you know going around the table have any of you put in abstracts to share or are planning to this afternoon i will be uh i know i'm kind of behind the times also i i've got a couple in with 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 a a partner and and I've got a couple more to do, and of course I want to do speed geeking uh, because that's just that's just a fun night. So uh, they they want abstracts for that, so uh, got to get them in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's the first year they've taken abstracts for for speed geeking. Yeah, unfortunately, I will not be uh, doing any this year. Okay, is that is that because you won't be at Lotus Fair or, or just just? Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm actually going to attend this year. Uh, we'll miss you there, obviously. Um, great, and uh, so so hopefully those will go in before the end of the day. Um. And the other um, piece of Lotosphere news um, is is that the Lotosphere blog rides again this year uh, at lotosphereblog.com. As many people will be aware, that's something that, that I've had a hand in over the last few years. We're definitely looking for more contributors this year. So if anybody else has has, has an input on Lotosphere, wants to, to share some stories from previous years or wants to cover some of the news and some of the debate around uh, the Lotosphere event for 2011, we will most definitely um, welcome you with open arms on that blog. Um, particularly, we're also doing some podcasts as well again this year. Uh, many of you will have seen those in the last couple of years or heard them, um, interviews with people asking about Lotosphere experiences and what, what newbies should do and so on. Um, and yeah, um, I, just want, I just want to touch on that, Stuart, because that's, that's something that you, you started a couple of years ago, and it, it is a good site, and I think it gives you some interesting background on maybe the presenters and the people who have gone to Lotus Fear 
multiple years. You know, I think the turtle still holds a record, right? Um, you know, so it's it's an interesting thing, and I I would I would stress to people, you know, get involved. If 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 you have a story, you know, contact Stuart. If you want to be a a collaborator on this, um, you know, offers whatever you want to do. You know, Stuart does a lot um, already. I'm not sure his wife will let him do anymore. <laughs> and the whole idea is that site is for the community and you know by the community in terms of some of the build up to low sphere that you know newcomers come to low sphere every year that haven't been before um don't have too much information about the background you know where to stay what what facilities are nearby what events to go to see and all those kind of things and it's to provide uh, an introduction to that so anyway do contact us um the, the link for the email address will be in the show notes um another event that's coming up soon a new one this year is ltap 2010, which is a virtual event taking place on October the 27th and 28th. Um, I, I think somebody on this call has had some involvement in that. Is somebody going to speak on that? Well, um, I'm going to be sponsoring it, but uh, have no other involvement in it other than that. So, so you're going to be sponsoring it, um, Corey. Is, is that something that you see people doing more of these virtual events? I mean, obviously, the cost of, of getting to events like Lodosphere is is getting significant in terms of hotel and travel. Do you see that as, as being something that, that we can all adopt as a way forward? You know, I'm not really sure. I think this is going to be an interesting experiment to see uh, what happens with this event and how many people attend. Um, I, I've certainly seen uh, in, in talking to my customers that traveling to Lotusphere, paying for the event is um, is not something that they can do frequently. And so an event like this that is free, that's virtual, um, I think it has a good chance. I think it's I think it's interesting. Yeah, and I'll, I'll chime in. Um, I, I was asked to present, but I just do not have the time. So unfortunately, I had to step back. Um, but but I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good idea, um, you know, there are other vendors uh, researching motion with their BlackBerry stuff sticks to mind that, you know, if you can't get the BlackBerry DevCon, then a couple of weeks to a month later, they have pretty much a virtual event where you can go in and, and do sessions. Um, it, it's a shame I don't think IBM saw the need for this and, and, and stepped in and, and helped. I don't, I don't think they're sponsoring LTAP. But I definitely think it's something people will be interested in. And, you know, with all things like this, whether it be a virtual event or a log or even Lotusphere, it's, it's a function of a content. As long as the content is, is, is top notch, um, free always helps. Um, there, there are conferences that are paid for, but, but there's also some that are free, so that always helps. But I think just being able to sit in, in front of your computer, your office with your door closed uh, and, and hear you know, some t tier one presenters talk and present on, on, on topics is, is, is not a bad idea. And, and I think IBM should really take note of this and, and, and maybe start to get a bit more involved in this kind of format. I think that's right. I, I think it, it. I hope it's going to be a real success. Scott Sullivan, who's the organizer of that um, event, is is going to be on this week and later next week. So certainly something we can ask him about then is is the format and and how it's going to work in terms of registration and so on. But I mean, the idea that it's free and anybody can can you know subscribe, I think is a is a tremendous one. Um, and uh, just to, to close us off, um, we've, we've discussed quite a lot of mobile technology on this call in the past, uh, BlackBerry and, and iPhone and so on. This week saw the launch of Windows Phone 7, um, which is Microsoft's latest effort into this market. Um, <laughs> for, for, <laughs> for those that are in the US, I, I'm interested to know, does, does Windows Mobile still have a, um, a significant share over there as far as you can see? I heard on the radio the other day with the... With, with, uh 
the bandwagon that comes along with these announcements is that in the smartphone market, uh, Windows Mobile has somewhere in the region of 5%. I'm guessing they meant US-wide. Um, I, I haven't seen one used by anybody for years. And as someone had said on Twitter, I think the day of a launch, uh, they were looking for names. So, you know, we've got Android, we've got the iPhone, uh, and all of these different types of phones. Android, so there's lots of different phones, the Android, the the Edge, the, the Epic, but we're looking for a name for Windows 7, and someone said, name it the Yawn. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought just about summed it up, unfortunately, for Microsoft. Apparently, it's getting good reviews. Uh, I think the problem is, it's, it's it, you know, perception is, is reality, and uh, I, it would take a lot for me to even pick one up. I think what, what's certainly interesting because... is the way they're, they're marketing it in terms of there being some ads that show people on uh, you know, mobile phones, I guess they're iPhones and Androids and that kind of thing, sort of staring at them whilst they you know, wreck their life in one way or another, uh, you know, have accents in their whatever it might be, um, miss their children's activities and so on. And, and saying that it's the phone that you can sort of get in, get out and, and get on with your life with, which I think is a... And really interesting so the sales technique really it's almost saying either that other phones more interesting this is going to be a dull phone or else that um you know that <laughs> they're making it very easy for you to get hold of that information and that's something that iphones and androids and, and blackberries don't do sorry Corey, you were going to say so i haven't seen uh, a windows device out in the wild in i don't know how many years uh so i don't know who that five percent is but i don't think i've ever met them i think it's microsoft um <laughs> yeah, it could be. But, you know, I, I've got to say the the interface that they're using for this device and, and interfaces can be a very personal thing, but I really like the way it looks. Mm. Um, I don't know how well that'll translate. I don't know how well um, everyone else will like it, but, but the way it looks to me from the demos I've seen, it's quite beautiful, uh, simplistic, but beautiful. Um, but, uh, it makes my uh, iPhone look antiquated, and same with the Android. Um, it's very different looking. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how this works. And, and I think you know what Microsoft have to avoid is becoming the next Palm Pre, which is a good device, had a lot of good press, had a lot of good reviews, but it, it just didn't sell many off the shelf. Um, so, you know, Microsoft have that, have that problem is how do we get the devices in people's hands? And they've also still got the, the, the fallout from their magically disappearing smartphone from like, what, two, three months ago, whatever that was called. I forgot what it was called. The Kin. Yeah, the Kin. That was it. So, you know, are people worried that if I go back and buy this in three months, you're going to kill it because it wasn't a good idea again? So, you know, I think they've, they've got to overcome that, that perception as well. I think uh, I think if you ask the average uh, consumer out there that buys a phone about the Kin, they, they'll say they never even heard of it. I, I don't think that'll be a a stumbling block for them, except for uh, those of us in the tech community that pay attention to that sort of thing. Yeah, probably true. I, I think the other thing is is that it's uh, you know they've, got, they've gone for a very different user interface, which I, I think it's time for a new one. You know, the iPhone obviously set the scene really in terms of about three years ago when the first original iPhone came out. BlackBerry have almost moved to a similar kind of icon-driven um, view. Android does the same. And I think Microsoft are being pretty, um, you know, remarkably 
I don't know, sort of controversial almost and going for a very different look and feel. Although I think it's got some similarity to the Zune uh, for those that play with the Zune HD. But uh, it's, I think it's, they're being daring, which uh, is very unusual for Microsoft. Might see a, a change in, in other areas of their business as well. And you're right. I think they're being innovative for change, but I don't think they've got anything to lose, which is kind of where yeah. Microsoft innovate. So it'll be interesting to see whether it's too late for them to recover their market share, which I, I think probably four or five years ago was was up in the you know, 30, 40 percent of, of the market. It'll be interesting to see whether they can ever get back to those kind of uh, levels again. So um, once again, as usual, we've run out of time. We've got a list of topics we didn't get to, but I'm sure we can cover those in, in future episodes. So um, we finish uh, every show that we do in this series um, with a tip from each of our contributors. Uh, and it might be a website, a product, an event, just a, a you know a suggestion in terms of how you might use one of the lotus products so darren how about we we start with you once again what, what's your tip for this week uh mine is give give symphony free a try you might want to wait approximately a week <laughs> to do that um but i use it as my primary office suite on a, on a windows 7 laptop it's a lenovo t500 and and i've been using it as my primary office suite for probably six months uh, STS as a whole has used Open Office as our primary office suite for five years. We've never really used Microsoft Office. So don't believe the hype. It, it can be done. And remember, if you're a current Notes uh, licensee on support, you, you get full support, PMR capability and everything. And you don't usually have that with Microsoft Office, by the way. Uh, Software Assurance, which is their support mechanism, usually costs extra on top of the Office license. And as Marie Scott would say about Tivoli Directory Indicator, it's free, free, free. You don't have to pay a penny. Uh, go download at symphony.lotus.com, although wait approximately a week or thereabouts. Uh, get the gold code, try it out. Um, specifically, enterprises can use it, home users can use it, and it's, it really is. It's, it's a polished, impressive product. You need to go try it. Okay, thank you, Darren. And Eric, what's your tip? Well, it's going to be really hard for me to follow Darren's tip, but uh, thanks, Darren, <laughs> for, the, uh, for, for the kind words. Um, but what I will say as well, um, on that Symphony website, um, we have, uh, so, so my tip's going to be, not only do you want to go there to download the code, um, check out the plugins that are available. Um, one, of, one of the things with the plugins is um, there's a lot of feature and function that we've created in these plugins that are not in the base product. Um, and again, it's because not everybody needs it. Um, so what we try to do with plugins is put things out there um, that add function that's specific um, you know, to certain use cases. So for example, we'll have a plugin that you can create an organization chart, uh, for example. The Lotus Live plugin is a really exciting one. And if you have a Lotus Live account, um, as David Pearson was saying earlier, you could just click to cloud. Uh, you know, that's kind of the, the, the term we've been using. Um, and check out our support forums. Um, there's a lot of great information out there. We have a wiki as well. Um, there's a link to the wiki from the Symphony site um, on the help page. Um, contribute, uh, you know, look around for info. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just a great amount of information that's out there. So use all that um, in addition to going there, as uh, Darren said, late ne next week and, and getting a new thing. Okay, thank you, Eric. And Corey, do you have a tip for us? Yeah, I sure do. Um, first of all, I hate to be one of those people that plugs his own stuff as a tip, but uh, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, this tip is for the admins out there who have been intimidated by the change in the Domino Designer. And I know they're out there because I get asked by admins frequently to do very simple things now, such as change the schedule of an agent uh, because 
they just don't know how to get to that in the new Domino Designer. So I wrote a short article called the Domino Designer 851 Crash Course for Admins. Uh, the link will be in the show notes, or you can just Google for that. It's it's both up on my blog, but it's also in the Domino product wikis. Um, and it's, it's just a short walkthrough of um, explains the important aspects of the designer, how to make it look somewhat like the old designer, and how to get to these things that admins use frequently, such as uh, scheduling agents, getting to the prohibit refresh flag, uh, just these types of things. And I've, I've had uh, great feedback uh, from it, so I thought I'd share that with everyone else. That's brilliant. Thank you for that. And David Pearson, what's your tip? Okay, so following on, obviously, from the, the great tip from both Darren and Eric, um, <laughs> I was going to actually mention, of course, the Symphony Wiki. I particularly like the fact that it's got a mobile interface. So if you've got a web-enabled smartphone, it's really useful uh, to go in there and just find really good education materials. The other thing I just want to mention is that, you know, if anyone, particularly customers, are interested in actually carrying out an evaluation or even um, deploying Symphony, um, we do in fact have, IBM does have uh, its own methodology for actually helping our customers out. Uh, we did in fact go through the patenting process with that, but decided actually just to publish that onto the ip.com site so that it's available free of charge. Um, so it's called the Office Productivity Suite Transformation Method, typical IBM, but we should call it something simpler. But it will allow our customers to go through the entire end-to-end -end process to, you know, plan it, test it, deploy it, extend it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my tip. If you're interested in doing that, then please make contact. Okay, great. And we'll have a link to the uh, wiki in the show notes as well, so people can find that. Uh, and actually, the, the wikis have had an update, I think, in the last couple of weeks as well. So um, so that's great. Um, David Leedy, what's your tip? Uh, well, my tip's the one that I, I use a lot because I, I think it's still kind of uh, uh, unknown, underappreciated in the X page world, is is if you're starting out or you want to learn about X pages, xpageswiki.com is a great site to go to it's it's run by a, a, a guy named julian bus and as he was starting out he just started to you know log his what he has learned and and what i like about it is rather than a big application that you know you have to pick apart and find things they're all short digestible tips um so so if you are getting into x pages wiki there's a ton of or x pages development there's a ton of information on xpageswiki.com and I, I can't recommend that highly enough great Okay, that's great. And again, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And finally, um, my tip for this week is is just a, a piece of advice, really. If you're a Domino administrator, don't be afraid of partition servers. Um, it's something that I very rarely ever see used in particularly in Windows environments. People seem to think that there should be a sort of one-to-one mapping of a physical or virtual servers to Domino servers. And, and in many cases, it's a real waste of um, valuable CPU cycles and memory on those servers. It's something I've used liberally since uh, really, the first days that I worked with Domino back on um, AX, sort of in, in kind of 4.0 days, even 4.5, certainly, where we um, we used partitions to make the most out of boxes that just where Domino server just couldn't scale to the number of users that we wanted to support. So we, we had many Domino servers per physical machine. And you can still do it today. Very easy to set up. Just create an IP alias on one of your network cards, configure that into notes.ne, 
uh, and then off you go really it's very straightforward the only thing you have to watch is licensing if you just use the um, messaging version of domino and notes then uh, or, or from a license perspective then you don't have the rights i believe to run partitioned but otherwise um yeah it's a really good way to make the most out of your kit and finally uh, just an additional tip on that is and again something i see used a lot is it don't use your host name of your machine as necessarily the domino server name um because it does create a link there that's very difficult to break at a later date use some kind of virtual name for your domino server that you can move around as you move your box as you uh, upgrade and, and move systems around so uh, that's just a, a tip from my experience of doing lots of domino mapping over the years so as usual we'll wrap up but just by going around the table one more time to ask people how um how can people get hold of them uh, if they have a twitter or a blog address and so on down do you want to kick us off yeah, the blog, blog.darrenduke.net for all things Lotus technical wise and on Twitter, Darren Duke, all one word, D-A-R-R-E-N-D-U-K-E. Thank you very much. And Eric, how do people find you? Uh, it's uh, email is the best way for me, Stuart, and um, I put my email address in the show notes. OK, great. So now I've already checked that. That's great. Thank you. And Corey? Uh, yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter, Corey Davis, C-O-R-E-Y. D-A-V-I-S. Uh, you can check my blog, which I update infrequently at connexus.com slash blog. Okay. And and I guess just through the Connexus website as well, if they're interested in your uh, services. Absolutely. Okay, great. And uh, David Leedy, how do people find you? Uh, well, I'm on uh, Twitter uh, as well, uh, David Leedy. Um, and I've got uh, the notes9.com website. I also have a blog at lotusnotebook.com and uh, I'm easily reachable by email, which I, I put in, in the end of every show. Okay, great. And David Pearson? Okay, so uh, people can either reach me on Twitter, so that's DJ Pearson, that's P-E-A-R-S-O-N-1, uh, or alternatively uh, email, uh, that's uh, David underscore J underscore Pearson at uk.ibm.com. Thank you, David. Okay, well, that's us done for this week. Um, thank you very much for downloading and listening. We appreciate uh, you subscribing to the podcast and we're always welcome to any feedback you have. So please do send it through via the blog. Uh, Darren, we'll just finish off with a reminder that um, we're giving away that cop copy of the book, um, Lotus Same Time 8 Essentials, A User's Guide. Two copies of that to anybody who emails us on ideas at thisweekinlotus.com. Yep. So until, yeah, great. Thank you, Darren. And until next week, bye for now. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer.